3: Thank you, Sarah and Mike. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Courtney Reagan in today for Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the semi-smackdown. Chip stocks whacked as the U.S. tightens the screws on exports to China. Our investment committee is standing by to break down the fallout. Joining us for the hour, friend Evangelo, Joe Terranova, Amy Raskin, and Jim Labenthal. Let's get you a check on the market here at noon Eastern. The Dow and the S&P 500 are higher. NASDAQ slightly negative. Russell, though, the real outperformer, higher by 1.6%. When we're looking at the materials, almost all higher with, mater- with with the sector, rather, materials leading, financials and industrials as well. IT, uh, information technology, the only negative sector, which of course goes hands in hand with the NASDAQ. We'll talk about that in just a second. Crude oil down 1.2% on the session at 86.66. We're going to check out our chart of the day. NVIDIA. Sharply lower, but off its lows of the day. The move comes as the White House restricts the sale of NVIDIA's AI chips specifically made for the Chinese market. Our Christina Partsanavalis is live at the NASDAQ with more on this developing story. Christina, what's the latest?
4: Well, we we were talking a year later and the Biden administration is realizing their export controls just weren't enough to stop China's military from advancing in AI. That's why today the list of restrictions is growing to include even more advanced computing chips, as well as close any loopholes that allow companies to send AI chips to China directly or through intermediary countries. Companies that will want to export AI chips to China or other embargoed regions will now have to notify the U.S. government on a case by case basis. Additional chip equipment will be restricted, impacting names like KLA and applied materials. That means, yes, NVIDIA's A800 and the H800, versions made specifically for China, are now restricted. Keep in mind, NVIDIA had previously said about one fourth of its data center revenues come from China. But today, though, NVIDIA spokesperson stating that they don't expect a near-term meaningful impact on financial results. The key there is near-term. What about the long-term? That's a concern. For example, equipment maker ASML admitting today, quote, These export control measures will likely have an impact on the regional split of our system sales in the medium to long term. Keep in mind, these new restrictions, they have about 30 days before they become in, come into effect. We can see the reaction in all of the chip names today uh, when this news hit this morning at
3: 8.45. Very interesting stuff. Christina, stick with us. I'm going to turn here to the panel. We have some ownership. Amy, you own NVIDIA. On this news, what do you do with it?
5: Well, we've been trimming nvidia all year so we've owned it for over a decade now so it's a very long-term holding for us but i do think um, there are some signs to show that it is it is weakening i mean this is obviously not good for the stock Um, there's a question in my mind whether china was stockpiling chips in advance of something like this happening which would have inflated results like the strong results that we saw for the last few quarters so this is this is a negative i still think nvidia is a great company it has very good long-term potential but the stock has run up a lot. It looks like it's not that expensive. But the question in my mind, are we at peak earnings? And then we're putting a peak multiple on those peak earnings. And that's that's definitely a concern in the semiconductor space. So I think this is a, a, ve- a good, very long-term holding. But I wouldn't be—we're not particularly overweight, and I wouldn't be very overweight right now.
3: Oh, very interesting. Jim, you also own NVIDIA. Some of this maybe to some degree was expected, as Christine was talking about. The Biden administration put in some kind of restrictions and controls, and we're just upping the end a little bit here. What does this mean for you? Yeah, so
6: I'm relatively new to the stock, um, so I'm building up what you're trimming down. Maybe we'll meet in the middle. I don't know. But I I think I can speak for most investors in saying that my thesis was not on NVIDIA was not predicated on sales to China. If somebody went into NVIDIA thinking that China was the growth market for American-designed or produced chips and, and semi-equipment, that was an absolutely 100% wrong reason to get into any of these stocks. It's been very clear for quite some time. And in fact, the news on NVIDIA uh, having a potential potential hit from China sales came out, I want to say, Amy, you'll remember, six, nine months yeah, ago, something like ago. that. Yeah. So this is upping the ante. And I think it's what, what it's upping the ante for is that the U.S. government realizes there's been all these sort of back channels by which China have made their way uh, into Chinese, ostensibly military applications. So, this really shouldn't come as news to anyone, and it's not part of the thesis of why I own NVIDIA.
3: Brenda, you also own NVIDIA. And Christina makes an interesting point about what the spokesperson said about not having a material, immediate impact in, I guess, the near term, but the long term is really the question
7: mark. What does it mean for your holding here? I think when we look at NVIDIA in the near term here, you know, 80% of the revenue of the company comes from outside of China. So this is a very global company um, and it's really incredibly well positioned right here and now. No doubt that over time, there will likely be competition coming, lots of other companies working on chips right now. And when you think of the long-term overall growth, you know, China would certainly be part of that from a global perspective. But I think right here and now, there is still more room Uh, for NVIDIA to continue growing and that right now they're really enjoying, the company's enjoying this incredible positioning of really being one of the only games in town uh, for these chips. So in in our view, you know, here in the shorter or immediate term, I think the company is still really well positioned. The stock is really kind of consolidated since June. It hasn't really done very much, even though earnings results have been significantly better than expected. So we're still sticking with our position and viewing the company in a positive light here.
3: And and if it hasn't done very much, but today it is, it's down about three and a half percent. Is there an opportunity here if you still believe in the company's ability to grow long term? Would you buy here?
7: I think for people who have an underweight position or no position at all, you know, taking advantage of opportunities like this uh, in, in our view, is, is wise, uh, just given the, the positioning of the company. So we wouldn't be trimmers here necessarily, but we would be, be more adding to positions rather than trimming at current levels.
3: Joe, you own NVIDIA and a number of other chip names than Joe T. When you hear this news today, again, maybe largely expected, but still, stocks are moving on it. It is a, a big deal potentially in the long term. What do you do?
2: They are, they are certainly moving on it. Um, let's point out it's not a blanket restriction. So again, if you're in the bullish camp, that plays to your thesis. Um, The way that we own most of the chips are through an equally weighted strategy. So we're not market cap weighted. So to Amy's point, the degree in which you own a lot of these chip names, in particular Nvidia, is going to be incredibly important. But I think there was this perception that the news surrounding NVIDIA and the chips and the early morning market weakness that we experienced would be some type of catalyst for the market to roll over. And we haven't seen that. And I think the real story is the remarkable resiliency that's being reflected overall in the market today. And the market is looking upon this news as it relates to the semiconductors, it's questioning, yes, in the long term, if it's gonna have an impact on financial results, but in the near term, it's not having the negligible impact that a lot of people suspected it would've. And the last point on that is, let's remember, NVIDIA will report in the days before Thanksgiving, and I can't see uh, anything that would affect your position dramatically until you see what those results are gonna be.
3: Okay. Christina, you you made a mention uh, when you were giving us your report about the chips that were specifically designed for China that are now restricted. What does NVIDIA do with those chips? Is there another customer? Can they be repurposed? Is that just part of that that lost business?
0: Yeah,
4: yeah, they could be repurposed to other countries, but then some of those countries are on the restriction list because they can act like third-party sources for China. So there's a lot of work for the Commerce Department. But uh, to to Joe's point, he said a few things. First, that it's not a blanket restriction. He does have a point. The US is being pretty vague right now. I I even asked directly to a senior uh, White House official just about the Gaudi 2 chip, which is Intel's version made specifically for China. I asked, would that be restricted? They told me they can't comment, but they were they did comment on Nvidia. They said yes, Nvidia's chips will be blocked. So there's this like vagueness in the report going forward. But specifically to Nvidia, you can't discount the fact that 20% of data center revenues come from China. So you may not see it reflected in the earnings report that comes out right before Thanksgiving. But this is some type of reset that is going to be necessary necessary for the uh, EPS full year estimates uh, for this year and going into next year too, given 20% is a lot, where is that revenue
3: going to come from? Sure, absolutely, and obviously a pretty big move for a pretty big stock. Christina, before we let you go, what's the move lower in VMware all about? I'd like for our audience to know
4: that this is just based on rumors thus far, but there are rumors spreading that potentially the acquisition, Broadcom's acquisition of VMware is at risk because of Chinese regulators that are possibly looking to block the deal. It could be complete rumors. Everybody, in I'm looking at all these articles, they're, they're sourcing media sources. But no one has a direct source. But you can see the stock is reacting nonetheless down 6%. And it could show an example of VMware, uh, Broadcom caught in the crosshairs especially after the CEO, Hawk Tan, that's Broadcom CEO, just said in the last earnings call that he was very, very confident this deal would go through. So this really just throws a wrench into this whole plan if it doesn't and makes me wonder if this is retaliation from China or just mm. a rumor.
3: Yeah, very interesting stuff. Obviously, as you've said, it is speculation, but we pointed out to the viewers because VMware is down more than 6% on it. Joe, that brings me to you. You own this one personally. What do you think? We own Broadcom. What do do. you think about this move, what the speculation could suggest? Well,
2: the deal is supposed to close at the end of the month. Um, Again, to your point, we don't know if this is speculation, rumors, or or not. You need the guidance from companies, that's what you need to listen to. And to Christina's point, uh, as it relates to Nvidia, waiting for the earnings right before Thanksgiving, I would expect that the company will guide towards what the long-term effect is going to be for the US restrictions on their chips in China. Uh, but but for VMware and, and Broadcom, I think you have to await confirmation from the companies themselves.
3: Okay, that makes sense. Christina, thank you very much for being here with us and bringing us all the news in the chip space. We're gonna turn now to the other big story of the day, a blowout retail sales report the number more than doubling expectations. Our senior economics reporter Steve Leisman is here with us. Steve, this was a, quite a strong report, nearly across the board. I guess there are a couple categories of weakness. But what really stood out to you here?
8: Just the overall strength and that everybody expected by now that the summer boom we've seen would have already worked its way through. But it hasn't, uh, Courtney. And so that big uh, number we got in July uh, for month of June, sustained itself for July, sustained itself for August, and now uh, we get the September data. And what's happening, Courtney, are two things. One is people are marking up their GDP, not just for this quarter, which I guess apologies to uh, the Atlanta Fed, which, which I've often reported has been way too high. <laughs> this month, it looks like in the 4 or 5% GDP range could be about right. But it's also flattering the fourth quarter as well because of the starting point <clears throat> from September. The other thing it's doing, Courtney, is it's raising the odds of a Fed rate hike. Um, What's happened now is uh, for the first time, we are just about at the 50 percent level for January. That wasn't even in play. Everybody thought if they didn't get it done this year, it was not going to get done at all. But now they've transferred their uh, Fed anxiety from this year to the first month of next year. And so not much chance in November, a bit more chance in December. But now we're talking about January being in play as well.
3: And why would that be, Steve? I mean, why why would you transfer that into January when these numbers are now? And if the Fed is data dependent, anything could happen between then and now. But right now, it looks like the economy is pretty strong.
8: No, that's right, uh, Courtney. And what's happening now is, I think people people are hedging their bets here. They're saying, you know what? Um, The Fed may not be quite done here. We have to at least give some possibility that the Fed comes back and hikes rates uh, if, if the economy doesn't slow. Interesting commentary today from Barkin, the Richmond Fed president, who said, yeah, I know what the data say, and it says the economy is very strong. But he's relying at least as much on anecdote and saying he's seeing some cooling out there in the economy, some cooling in the labor market, uh, although still some questions about inflation. The key here is going to be inflation, Courtney. If inflation cools down, the Fed can get rid of uh, can, can, can can stop hiking rates. If it doesn't, it may come back at the game.
3: Okay, Steve, stick with us. Jim, I want to turn to you. We've got this Bank of America fund manager survey where hard landing expectations are on the rise at 30%. Soft landing, though, 59%. That sort of remains the base case. You are still bullish, straightforward, dead ahead. Today's inventory, or rather retail sales numbers, potentially the industrial production numbers, capacity utilization, all of that sort of just build your bull case going forward?
6: It it does. I'm going to come back to one negative. Okay, Okay. I I hope Steve will listen to this as well. But let's just remember that for the last two months we've been talking about, oh, my goodness, student loan repayment is starting Mm -hmm. and the consumer is going to be flat on his back. And it just you see the evidence that that's not the case. Okay, so we have another data point that says this economy is a lot more resilient than people are giving credit to. And so, yes, I am still bullish. Um, You know, good news for me is good news. Right. This is good economic news. There is one thing. And Steve, I'd love your opinion on this, which is that I do worry about the regional bank system. All right. we it, it, This idea that we got it all done within March with Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic and Signature just doesn't pass the common sense test for me. Mm. And the Fed has raised twice since then. And maybe they'll raise again. And I just think that the same balance sheet pressures that occurred in March and the same uh, earnings uh, pressures that are occurring on the regional banks from these higher rates are eventually going to break something. So, Steve, would you please put
8: me at ease? Or, or else, tell me no. Or, you know you're you're on the money. Well, I have I have two com- I have two comments on that. One is that it's just fine for regional banks to slow down and reduce their lending. It's not fine if there's a blow-up. So if we've gotten over the hump of of of, all of these bad banks that are going to create systemic concerns, then it's okay. That's normal. The other thing I have to say is, did you hear Brian Moynihan this morning? Now I know you're talking about regional banks, but what he said is yes. Our delinquencies have risen, but they've risen, if I have this right, to the level of 2019. We are used to, Jim, a level of, of, of easy money flow from 2021-22 that has gone away. And now we are, in some cases, normalizing. We don't know if we normalize you know, and come up through the prior level. But in a lot of these cases, things are just getting back to the way things used to be and that is just fine when it comes to delinquencies. I'm kind of struck, Jim, by the incredible negativity that has accompanied the uh, outlooks for the consumer. They were going to give it up, going to give it up, going to give it up. They haven't given it up, at least not according to this data. Um, and overall, when you have this strong GDP, you would think it would bleed into some of the views on the stock market. But you know why it's not? Because people think the consumer is going to give it up.
6: Can I give you one? You know, Steve, I think it's as simple as they're employed. I mean, I really I don't think we need to go further than that. They're employed. I agree. Their job prospects are good. And just just according think, to your point, I, think I my have, bullishness.
8: Okay. OK, I think Steve. I think economists have routinely underestimated the value of the job. They keep saying it's the pandemic savings that's going to run out. But people are employed. They've gotten four percent wage growth. I know that it's been a struggle because of inflation but real or inflation adjusted retail sales have been reasonably positive. Steve, let me ask you a critical question in
2: terms of the way we think about the market itself. Um, We all understand, we've heard it on the network, I'm a believer in it, the treasury market is doing the work for the Federal Reserve. Whether we agree with that or not, that's just a personal viewpoint. But how much does the Federal Reserve observe the treasury market and say to themselves, we have overwhelming selling, okay? Who's the marginal buyer right now of treasuries? And for the Federal Reserve to come back and raise rates another 25 basis points, do they understand the dynamic right now in the treasury market where there are very few buyers, there's overwhelming selling pressure, and that if they in fact go and raise another 25 rates, they're going to send the bond market absolutely
8: parabolic? I'm not sure they think that, Joe. I I do know they are watching the bond market. I do know that many have said, many Fed officials have said, the bond market is doing the work for the Fed, and that could mean they don't have to go again. Uh, Bostick from Atlanta has said very specifically, we are are at the rate, we don't have to to raise anymore. So has Harker. Yesterday, just said the same thing, uh, that the Fed does not have to hike anymore. Uh, Others have said we're at or near that rate. I think they're looking at that, Joe. I do also think that the Fed is sensitive to the issues of systemic risk, like I was talking about with Jim. Um, And hopefully they're watching this. I don't know that um, that would forestall another rate hike because at the end of the day, they're going to fight inflation and they're going to try to win that battle. And if that means more rate hikes, they're going to get the real question here is can inflation still come down with GDP this strong and the labor market this strong. That's the thing the Fed has to figure out in terms of whether or not it's gonna hike again.
3: Steve, this is all great stuff. I want to broaden out the conversation a little bit and and sort of get back to the core of all of this, which is really the consumer. And Brenda, if I can ask you, I mean, this new Deloitte survey came out today with spending intentions. To Steve's point, 72% of consumers expect inflation will be a factor, but they've sort of decided they're going to manage through it. They actually are saying on average they spend 14 percent more this year for holiday gifts than they were last year. And of the 17 percent that said that they do have student loans, less than half said that it was going to curtail their spending. So if you look at that, you look at the data points of retail sales. I know that you own some names that might be better positioned for consumer trade down. How do you put it all together when you're looking at the U.S. consumer going into this most important quarter of the year?
7: Right well I think that if we look back over the last year your participation in the workforce has increased especially for that prime age work, uh, working cohort where it's now above where it was from pre pandemic levels so I absolutely agree with Jim that the key here is is jobs so people are employed. Wage growth is outpacing overall inflation right now and that's certainly a positive. But when we think about what's to come in the future we can't uh, ignore that financial conditions have tightened. We hear lots of stories here in Silicon Valley of companies that are Uh, reluctant to take on additional capital because they don't want to do so at a lower valuation. They're reluctant to take on loans because of the overall cost. So They're willing to slow their business instead um, and wait. Um, And in our view that eventually will impact uh, that sort of thinking and activity will eventually impact overall economic growth and jobs. Uh, So we still uh, don't think we're completely out of the woods here. But when we look at what's to come in the fourth quarter, I think it's looking like it's going to be a pretty decent quarter from an overall consumer spending Standpoint, our positioning really has been sticking with TJX, which we think benefits uh, on multiple levels. But really benefits from a lot of the excess inventory that's been in the channel, particularly on the apparel and the home goods side, where the quality of product there is better than it has been. That's great for their core consumer um, as well as for potentially people trading down. We also have a position in Amazon, which you know is a huge beneficiary. Of a continued uh, strength of the online business Uh, so we're not uh, naked the consumer but it's not an area that we're adding to at this moment even though we think the next quarter will be good but we're more concerned about what's to come next year.
3: Online sales, they're among the stronger ones today in the retail sales report, um, and also an area where consumers say that they're going to spend most of their money in the Deloitte survey. I mean, Amy, Bank of America's Brian Moynihan said today that consumer spending is still ahead of last year, but continues to slow. Slow. You own names sort of across the board here, hitting a lot of different sort of subsectors of the consumer. What's your view?
5: Well, it's interesting. If you look at the breakdown of spending, actually a disproportionate amount of spending is now coming from people 60 and older. Mm So this is a cohort that actually has a lot of disposable income and also doesn't have a lot of mortgage debt or a lot of auto loans. So they're almost immune or more immune than younger consumers from the rate hikes. So they're still doing relatively well, and they have money to spend. And I think you're seeing a shift in the demographics and who's spending. And, and I think that's actually holding up some retail spending a, uh, a little bit. But I also do think Moynihan's comments were very profound and very important, saying spending is slowing. Last year, they were... up. They saw consumers draw for debit and credit cards 9%. And it was up 9% year-on-year. Now it's up 4%, and they're expecting it to continue to slow. So the retail sales number is a pretty volatile number. I wouldn't totally hang your hat on that. Um, yes, consumers have jobs, but jobs are also a lagging indicator. So I think it is good that the Fed is sort of saying we're on hold. We know we've raised rates a lot. We're going to wait a little while to see what the impact is as it rolls through the economy. So I think that's the right strategy now. And I would not be overweight consumer stocks right now. I don't. I think consumer stocks tend to do well very early cycle. Um, it's hard to argue that we're early cycle right now.
3: Fair points. I know Steve and I often uh, sort of debate how good the government data is, and we all know it is a little bit lagging. Steve, I'm going to give you the last word here.
8: Well, two quick things, Courtney, and throwing it a little bit to you, which is, if I'm not mistaken, October has Prime Day and also yes. has um, uh, the introduction of the of the uh, new iPhone, which that's even right. though that's not going to be, it's not been as strong as people thought, or that's the word we're getting, um, it's still going to put a blip or, or, or add to October retail sales. So we may start again uh, in, in a good place for the quarter. The other thing that's interesting to me is you have this tremendous um Uh, 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 Influx, interest rate increase, which I think is helping seniors, and that's another way I think perhaps that's propelling consumer spending, and I'll leave it there.
3: Yeah, grandparents' uh, Christmas lists are just getting longer and longer for our kids every year. I guess that's where (laughs) it's coming from.
5: They also have savings, and they're getting higher interest
3: on Exactly, to Steve's point. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you very much, Steve Leisman. Coming up more on the banks, two more big financials reporting results here today. We've got ownership in both of those names, Bad trade when halftime returns.
2: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry leading on time delivery record and low claim trade, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com.
3: EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. The earnings parade rolls on. Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, posting quarterly results above expectations. Amy, you own Goldman Sachs. Obviously, a lot of areas that beat earnings, revenue, bond trading, But profit was down year-over-year. Revenue's down year-over-year. Bond trading also down
5: year-over-year. What do you make of the report? So, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of puts and takes, as as you mentioned. Um, You know, from a long-term perspective, and I know Jim just sold it, and we were talking before the show, um, you know, I don't know what the near-term catalyst is, and there might not be one. But from a long-term perspective, um, you know, I know David Solomon last quarter said he thinks we were at a 10-year low for investment banking. So I look at the stock and say earnings are trough, I mean, they might bounce along the bottom for a while, but earnings are certainly low. Um, sentiment is low. Valuation is low. So I do think we will have another investment banking cycle at some point. <laughs> And Goldman will be very well positioned. Um, I think we are going into a decade where liquidity is going to be harder to come by. So banking expertise and might be more in demand than less. Um, so I think it's well positioned from a long-term perspective.
3: What do you make of sort of the falter that they've had in the consumer side of those businesses. They
5: definitely were missteps. I think they've admitted it and they're taking their lumps for it. So I think that's um, I I think it's good that they're getting out of the businesses and they're exiting. Um, They're admitting their mistake. Um, Do I like that they made a mistake? No. But, you know, um, that happens.
2: Joe. I think Goldman Sachs has done an excellent job in in pivoting in that Mm -hmm. direction. Um, Goldman Sachs and other money center banks and investment banks, they just need a better financial services environment, Mm -hmm. and that's what they're challenged by. They're challenged by the overall environment, asset management, wealth management, higher interest rates so collectively when you look at all the earnings so far that we've had jp morgan which i i own wells fargo they've both responded positively to earnings city not so much goldman sachs okay it's Mm -hmm. lifting a little bit but i think amy you would agree the response wasn't what we wanted bank of america i think the jury's still out let's Mm -hmm. kind of get through the day so i think the thirty thousand foot view of financials is yes today today, let's be thankful that the cyclical trade is leading and participating once again. I still look at the market through the lens of the right place that you want to be is uh, communication services, technology for the fourth quarter. That is what's leading. Meta's is up 7%. Alphabet's up 6%. Microsoft is up 5%. And just overall today, okay, on a day where we started the day talking about yields, uh, tenure approaching 5%, retail sales in the Federal Reserve with the need to maybe raise rates higher, the news about NVIDIA, oil above $87. Look where we are right now in the market, the resiliency. You're You're above in the S&P 500, you're above yesterday's high, remarkable resiliency.
5: Amy. Uh, yeah, I would take the other side of uh, of the tech com trade. I mean, it might work in the fourth quarter. Um, well, I'm, so I'm speaking? Right. Yeah. About. So the fourth quarter, I I don't disagree necessarily. The trend has certainly been in that way. But from a long term perspective, expectations are much higher. If you look at what expectations for the big mega cap eight Fair. or even Nvidia versus Goldman Sachs, and who's going to have an easier time beating expectations, mm-hmm. looking out over a long term, I, I will take Goldman Sachs every day. I just think the money has moved in that direction. there, um, And now you've gotten expectations higher, you've gotten earnings high, um, higher, and it's just going to make a much harder bar to, to jump over.
2: I agree with you once the calendar turns to 2024. But up right. until that point, I just think tech has this leadership dominance. Yeah,
5: I, I'm, I'm, def- I'm positioning from a longer term perspective, so I, I don't disagree with that. Well, let's get to the headlines with Contessa Brewer. Hi, Contessa. Hi,
0: Courtney. Senate Republicans introduced a bill to refreeze $6 billion in Iranian funds that were released in August during a prisoner swap with the country. Not clear yet if the measure would pick up the necessary backing across the aisle. At least two moderate Democrats have expressed support for permanently refreezing the funds, which can only be used for humanitarian-related purposes. Iran has been a longtime supporter of Hamas, but U.S. authorities have not directly linked Tehran to the Hamas attack on Israel. An appeals court granted a motion today for double-murderer Alex Murdaugh to request a new trial. His legal team claims there was jury tampering in the trial that ended with Murdaugh's conviction in the 2021 killings of his wife and son. And violent crime across the United States declined last year, according to a new FBI report. These crimes dropped to about the same level as before the onset of the pandemic. And that's a big turnaround from 2020 when the murder rate jumped nearly 30 percent as, of course, COVID-19 upended social support systems and created a huge disruption for families across the United States and really, Courtney, all around the
3: world. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Contessa, thank you very much. Well, coming up, a check-in on the healthcare trade. J&J beats the street on earnings, plus a bullish call on the biotech space. How's the committee, how the committee is positioned? We've got that for you, but that's next on Halftime. You'll have to stick around.
9: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will.
3: Welcome back to halftime Johnson Johnson shares giving up earlier gains today despite beating on the top and bottom lines and raising guidance Brenda you own J&J did you like what you heard today in the report
7: I did and I thought you know I'm disappointed by the, by the reaction in the stock today because when we look at this report in our view it was it was really good you know, the, um, really strong results um, from both the companies black drugs really Seeing signs of that core business um, is doing well. And with the recent spin off of Kenview, the story is really now more of a a bit of a pure play on the pharma and med tech businesses uh, that they have. Um, But it's unfortunately being overshadowed, I think, by what's happening uh, with the potential um, talc sediment. Settlements that are coming at coming up, which unfortunately we just don't have a lot of clarity on, and we might not mm-hmm. for a while. But if we look at that core business, I think it's doing well. The pipeline is really improved, um, and it's really defensive. Stock is inexpensive. Trades trades at a 15 to 20 percent discount versus peers. So I think there's a lot to like here. It's just the talc overhang that, unfortunately, I think is going to be here to stay for a few more quarters.
3: Are you concerned at all when J&J loses its patent later this year for Stelara, by any, by any chance? Is that going to be something that's an issue for them in that area of pharma, which has done pretty well this quarter?
7: I think that when you look at their product pipeline, it's very specialized drugs that are not going to be generic. As quickly as maybe some other drugs out there uh, when they come off um, uh, off patent, so not as concerned about that, and think they, they continue to have a really strong positioning in that marketplace. Okay, got it. Well, sticking with healthcare, Piper
3: Sandler out with a bullish note on the biotech space, highlighting AbbVie and Regeneron as defensive names to own into year end. It's our call of the day, Jim. You own AbbVie, so I guess you agree with this one.
6: I I do. I think AbbVie and many stocks like this in the greater biopharma space are extraordinarily cheap. Now, they're cheap for a reason. And that reason, in my opinion, is the Inflation Reduction Act from last summer, which brought drug pricing, you know, the the camel's nose is proverbially under the (laughs) tent. Um, So that (laughs) has people worried, but these valuations and the dividend yields are, are really quite extraordinary right now. If you look at a company like AbbVie, the hit against it has always been that Humira is coming off patent and that's a big part of their business. But their pipeline looks like it's already filling in behind that, and that's when you wanna buy these companies, when, is when people say, hey, a certain big drug is coming off patent, and you know maybe they think the pipeline isn't as strong as in AbbVie's case it is. So I see a very bright future here for AbbVie
3: all right fair enough any other health care ownership on the desk amy when you're looking at the space more
5: broadly yeah we like healthcare. care we're overweight healthcare now um i think it underperformed by a record margin in the first half of the year it's obviously not where people are looking i agree um, with the Inflation Reduction Act and um, people worrying about drug pricing. Also, going into election year is notoriously bad for healthcare. So there's a lot of reasons not to like it. But fundamentally, healthcare companies are making some great new drugs that are and doing it more cheaply than they've done it in the past. So the productivity in healthcare is improving. If you actually look at drug spending, consumer drug spending is down, um, which you know we haven't been able to say for a long time year over year. And they're getting better drugs for it. So I think there's a lot lot to like under the surface um, in this space that people just aren't paying attention to. We own Regeneron, Vertex, um, and a few other names.
2: So we own uh, Regeneron, mm-hmm. uh, Vertex, and yep. also West Pharmaceuticals. Those are mm-hmm. three names. that I would focus on. I think it's important to understand that a lot of the biotech industry is what we would call long duration. Mm -hmm. And the distinction can be seen in the performance year to date, XBI, which has a lot of small cap, uh, leverage oriented, right. right, leverage oriented biotechs down 14%, IVB, a little bit more quality in its nature down 6%. But the biotech industry, that's long duration. And as long as rates continue to rise, that's a challenging environment.
3: Got it. Well, up next, Mike Santoli is going to join us for his midday word. And coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern, join the free CNBC Make It Your Money virtual event. You can learn how to build your ideal career, boost your income and grow your wealth. Scan that QR code right there on the screen to register or visit CNBCevents.com. Halftime Report. We'll be right back. back we're watching shares of adidas the company just raised its full year guidance here fairly vague on why just sort of saying that the underlying adidas business also is developing better than expected here don't have ownership of
5: adidas on the
3: desk but amy you're you're in nike
5: yes we're in nike we trimmed it earlier in the year but at the very start of the year on um, worries about china um, we still have a core position though i think from a long-term perspective given their opportunity to. Um, disintermediate the middleman and go directly to their consumers and establish a relationship with their consumers, we think it's well positioned from a long-term perspective. So, we still like it. It's not super cheap. Um, Had a nice reaction after quarter, last quarter, um, even on sort of disappointing sales. So, we like that. We think expectations have come down and from a a long-term perspective, we like it. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Expectations have come down for certain. Adidas shares, though,
3: are spiking 4%. Jim, what do you make of something like that? Is that something that we can broaden out and say, hey, athletic space, consumer, much better than expected.
6: Well, I want more data from Adidas. I mean, Amy, you just touched on China, and that's really been one of the two key questions overhanging Nike, which I just entered about uh, three weeks ago, Um, the other being inventory problems. And Adidas has their own inventory problems with Yeezy. I don't really Mm -hmm. care about that. It's sufficient to say, though, to your question, Courtney, that inventory overhangs have been a hangover on the space for quite some time. There's indications from the Nike report a few weeks ago that they're working through that. If that continues and China picks up, big ifs, right? Then both of these stocks should do well. With regards to China, the only thing I'll say is famous last words. It's hard to imagine it getting worse. You know, <laughs> knock on wood.
5: Don't say
6: that. Um, <laughs> famous last words.
3: Oh, gosh, yeah, that's always going to be a discussion point. Where are we exactly with that relationship and the health of China's economy? Well, up next, Mike Santoli joins us for his midday word of the Dow of about 100 points. Halftime, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Mike, I mean, you've got the yield on the 10-year at 4.817, and uh, markets just keep moving higher.
1: Levels that, uh, even a week ago, probably would have made the stock market nervous. So, I mean, I repeatedly try to say there's no magic level of yields that stocks can't deal with under the right circumstances. So I think it's always a process of figuring out. Are we really choking off economic growth with yields up here? And today's retail sales number, I mean, was taken as an outright positive, not just a yeah, but. Um, You have the S&P up 1% off the morning low. So it kind of clawed its way back. The average stock doing better than that. Small caps up. Um, So it seems like good news is able to be good news for now. Seasonal strength, all that stuff's playing into what we're seeing in the market right now. Obviously, the bond market could continue to test, you know, uh, the resilience of of equity markets relative to, you know, to where we're going. But, you know, GDP growth looks really strong in the third quarter. I think investors really want to focus on earnings reports as opposed to macro. And I think Fed officials are kind of giving them permission to do that because they're standing back and saying, you know, no one number is going to change
2: anything on November 1st.
3: Joe, I know you've been watching the markets here. Well, and you're the,
2: resili- just- the resiliency is remarkable, and the correlation that Mike's talking about to higher yield seems to, at least in the near term, be breaking down somewhat. You do have a little bit of a, a relaxing in the price of oil, which yes. helped out today as well. But I, I think, and I'd love to hear Mike's thoughts on this, I, I think the positive economic news that we're getting is lending support to the premise that we are coming out of this earnings recession and we're coming out of the earnings recession strongly and if you just kind of could set the table this week boy we're going to really find out next week how much we're coming out of that earnings i
1: think that's pretty clear i mean 90 percent beat rate so far it's early but the economic surprises have been almost universally positive over the course of the quarter i think the question is does the market reward it is the market always going to sort of see the ghost around the corner because you know can this last is the fed going to have to really slow things down next year we don't know any about any of that, but for now, I think it's, uh, it's able to translate into positive news in a market where people were pretty defensively positioned pr- uh, going into uh, this period.
3: Amy, do you feel like any of this is seasonality as we're looking towards the back half of the year?
5: Sure, it has back to be. Quarter. I mean, everybody knows that the fourth quarter is usually the strongest quarter, so I do think people are you know, we'll use that lens through which to look through earnings. But we haven't had, and we've had good earnings, but we haven't had blowout reactions for the most part to earnings. So, you know, you saw um, B of A beat by a decent amount this morning and the stock was up, but not hugely. J&J beat and the stock's down. So I do think expectations have gotten higher and that will make it a little bit more difficult as we go through the earnings seasons. Like, we have to get big beats in order for this to, to work. The first half of the year, expectations were much lower. And so it was easier to to sort of surprise on the upside.
1: To me, the whole game is if after this earnings season, if it really lends a lot of credence to the forward one year estimate of like right. 240 for the estimate, if we can believe that's going to happen. Right. You could and be I'm OK not with sure we're gonna get that.
5: That's yeah. my question. How many that's, people are really going to get how many companies are going to guide for 2024?
6: Well, um, I'll make that yeah. case, by the way. Right. I mean, look, you, you've got GDP growing, which correlates to top line revenue. That's terrific. With inflation coming down and PPI much lower than CPI. That would indicate that margins are going to go up. So, to me, that combination seems to work. Um, the estimates, I believe, are for 245 next year, which will be a 12% year-over-year growth. The, I think the reason, though, that the market isn't focused on this is the ghost still is the Fed. Now, is 25 basis points really? Uh, that's more like Casper the Friendly Ghost, folks. I can't, I can't really get scared
3: of that ghost. Yeah. I think I just got an idea for Halloween cost. It could be the Fed. Woo. Right. <laughs> that's a good one. Well, coming, coming up, a few big airlines set to report earnings this week starting with United after the bell how the committee is navigating that trade halftime back into. go back to halftime. Let's get to the setup on United Airlines reporting after the bell today. Joe, you own it in the Joe T. What are you expecting from this one?
2: <laughs> uh, so at the end of the month, we will rebalance and reconstitute. Um, certainly the momentum is broken down. It is clearly negative. And on that day, we will address the positions accordingly.
3: <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, Brenda, how about you? When you're looking here at airlines in general, <laughs> is this a place that you might go hunting at all?
7: this isn't an area where we've historically had exposure nor do we plan to to establish exposure direct exposure i'll say we do own boeing uh, which will benefit from uh, ongoing um, upgrades to the fleets of the airlines but uh, in our view the airline group is just highly cyclical um, incredibly volatile and really not a long-term place uh, where where we like to stay and we have a very long-term view of the companies that we own American Airlines
3: down about 2% on the week. Alaska Air down about 1%. Jim, you own a couple of these names, Delta, Alaska.
6: I, I do, and I'm actually bullish Talk on it. about it, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you have a future in politics, my <laughs> <laughs> friend. That was so diplomatic. Okay. Uh, we all know what you were saying. Um, with regards to airlines, look, uh, Brenda just nailed it. It is cyclical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a belief of where we are in the cycle that generally for most of this year has been against the grain of where the rest of the market believes. And I think the market has started to come to grips with the fact that this cycle is far from over, um, and that means good things for the airlines. What's been happening in the short term, though, is a lot of temporary things. Labor costs, fuel costs. In Alaska Airlines' case, you've got this worry about how much is domestic demand hanging in there versus international, because Alaska is very much a domestic oriented airline. I think what I'm trying to say here is that's all short-term noise, and if you believe where we are in the cycle, and you look at those TSA passenger throughput numbers, and what folks like Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta is seeing him out demand, the future looks very bright for the airlines.
3: Hmm. Fair enough.
2: I'd well. rather be the football coach. You know? <laughs> okay. Who's the and starting quarterback? <laughs> we'll address it accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> that was
6: almost Bill Belichick <laughs> response.
3: We'll stay with us. Final trades from the committee are coming up on Halftime. We are back on halftime, and it's already time for Final Trades. Brenda, you're up first. What do you got? I'm
7: going to go with Mondelez. This is a great uh, global snack company with a fantastic organic growth. Caught up, I think, in the fervor over Ozempic and what that means for results. We don't think they're going to be impacted, so I think this has been a nice opportunity that's been presented here. Okay,
3: Jim. Great
6: All right, Jim. this was this was going to be great in my trade, but I'm going to fit it in for final trade. <laughs> CVS, they got great news from the Centers for Medicare Services that their stars rating for 2025 is back above 4.0. That's great for the stock.
5: Amy? I, we like Shell. Um, we like the energy trade. It's done well of late, but um, stock's still cheap with a nice dividend. And, Joe, bring us home.
2: For me, the consumer trade, there's three names. Obviously, we know Lululemon adding to the S&P tomorrow. TJX is very strong. And the last one, the economy of scales, Costco, they clearly have it. Stock is trading near a high for the year.
3: All right. Interesting stuff kind of across the board here for our final trades. Well, that about does it for halftime as the markets are continuing to move higher and drug off those higher bond yields. The exchange starts right now.
7: completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full halftime report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash halftime report disclaimer. CNBC has quick and
0: easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC business news updates wherever you get your podcasts.